Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley. Good to see you guys today. Thank you, Pastor John. Can we thank everybody real quick for doing that for us today? We got a packed service for you guys today, but it's really important stuff to fill you guys in on. Uh, We want you to know we are engaged in missions. And Katrina, she's a rock star, okay? She went down to Mexico for a few days. Then she got back, and then she went straight to Faraha and did that missions time there. And then she tried to fit in some vacation stuff, and now she's back at school teaching in her classroom. So I love it. Thank you, Katrina. Great work. Great work. Well, it's good to see you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be here today. I'm moving kind of slow. I got my stitches out. I had surgery on both of my feet uh, a couple weeks ago, so I'm still like, I still walk like a penguin, okay? So I'm very slow right now, but I'm so glad to be here. We are talking about Mission First today, and before we jump into the message this morning, I wanted to, to, to pause, give you a second to think about this. Who was it who first introduced you to Jesus? Okay, if you're a believer here today, who first introduced you to Jesus? Not who was it that made you say yes to Jesus, but who did you first learn about Jesus from? Now, when I think about my story, the person who first introduced me to Jesus was my mother, Cindy. All right, so I don't know if you're watching, Mom, love you, but thank you for introducing me to Jesus. I was about 10 years old. My mom introduced me to Jesus. At the time, though, even though I believed in what she was saying, I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. Like, maybe I'm I'm about that, but I, I don't know for sure. And so I was exploring life and making my own decisions until about the age of 18. Then at 18, a youth pastor stepped into my world, and he started to challenge me. Anybody try try to challenge you and, and disciple you? Anybody in this room? Somebody come alongside you, right? So usually you hear about Jesus from somebody, and then it takes another person to come alongside you to help you see your need for Jesus. And so I was about to 18 years old. This youth pastor started investing in me, and God not Knocked me down. I went through some really hard things, made some bad decisions, and God knocked me down. You ever been knocked down before? It's not a fun thing, but it's a really important thing to happen to each one, every one of us. And so I was knocked down. I finally bowed the knee to Jesus, gave my all to him. And from then on, I was dedicated to, I was all about one thing, God's mission. I wanted to see other people meet the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're a believer here today, somebody introduced you to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus wants to use you to introduce somebody else. Who does God want you to reach out to? So what about you? When, how did your faith journey begin? For most of us, it started with a family member or a friend who lovingly shared their faith with us. Maybe it was a grandma or a grandpa, a mom or dad, a sibling, a cousin. For others, it was a childhood friend or teammate or coach or teacher. But if you're a believer today, then odds are your faith journey began when someone you trust took the time to share Jesus with you. That's just how it works. Well, today's passage is all about that. It's the shortest passage I have ever preached on, and it's probably the shortest passage I will ever preach on ever again. 2 Timothy 1.5. This is all we're going to cover today. You guys ready for this? This is what it says. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, 
And then in your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. That's our passage this morning. And I love this passage because that is the story of how faith is passed down from generation to generation. It's a very simple, brief, but beautiful illustration of how young Timothy, the, the book that this guy's named after, Timothy, how he came to saving faith in Jesus. And Timothy's faith journey was quite simple. First, his grandmother Lois believed. Then Lois passed on her faith to her daughter Eunice. Then Eunice passed on her faith to her son Timothy. That's how it happened. And so this young, timid, sometimes fearful Timothy, who we got two books in the Bible named after him, later became like an apostle, uh, like a, a, a successor to the Apostle Paul in some of his ministry endeavors. But Timothy's story is quite basic. Grandma believed, mom believed, now I believe. Anybody have a similar story to that this morning? You learn from your mom, who learned from their mom, who learned from their dad, who is passed down from generation to generation. Now, it makes me think of how our chapel was used just this past week. So I don't know if you guys follow us on Instagram. If you don't, you should, all right? SVCC Lamore, follow us on Instagram, check us out on Facebook. On Monday night in the chapel, we had 100 young adults gather for a worship, a worship gathering in the chapel. So primary, primarily college college-age students. So I don't know if you know this, but young adults, we have a new ministry. They meet in homes every week for small group, and then once a month, they all gather together for a large group. And every new month, their large group is getting bigger and bigger. This last week, they had over 100. But at the end of that time of gathering with the young adults, they tore down the set, and then they set up tables, because you know who came in Tuesday morning after the young adults left the chapel? Who came in Tuesday morning for a luncheon? Our seniors, the senior luncheon. Now, what I loved about seeing them tear down Monday night and then set up, reset up the chapel for Tuesday morning is, is this. What excites me about our church is that we are seeing faith being passed down from generation to generation. Can I get an amen? amen. That's how God designed his church. That's why right now as we're sitting in here, we have 100 kids over there in the kids' building learning about Jesus, passing on the faith. Generation after generation. You know what's so cool? What I loved about Monday and then Tuesday. Tuesday morning, senior luncheon. If you haven't been, you should check it out. Some amazing people there because the people at the senior luncheon, they're the ones who helped build this church. And because of their faith and because of their faithfulness and because of their generosity— they are now sharing in the fruit of what's happening on Monday nights with the young adults. Because that's how God's church works. They have paved a way. You, too, are going to be called to pave the way for somebody else. That's how faith is passed down from generation to generation. Well, at South Valley, it's exciting to see us reaching new generations, seeing more and more people come to saving faith. But I want to remind you today, today in this message today, that you are called to be a world changer. That's your calling. If you belong to Jesus, he has called you out to be a world changer, to change people who are like you and to change people who are not like you to change people from your generation, and to invest in the generations to come. That is your mission. That is not, you don't get to choose your mission. Jesus chose your mission for you. Grandma Lois was a world changer. I don't think she ever anticipated that her name would be written in scripture. 
All she was doing was teaching her daughter. She never realized that her grandson would be one of the most famous figures in all of Christianity. And now millions of people believe because of Grandma Lois. That can be your story too. Can I get an amen? Mission first. Today I want to encourage you to begin your own ripple effect of faith in a sermon titled Mission First, God's Plan for Reaching Your World. So will you guys join me in praying and we'll jump into it. Father God, I thank you so much for today and the chance that we got to hear from Katrina about missions overseas and I pray that as we heard that that we would be reminded that we have a mission right here in front of us the people you've placed in our own lives and I pray God that our mission would extend beyond our own generation and reaching into other generations that we would see one generation after another come to saving faith and carry on that baton of reaching the world, of fulfilling the Great Commission. You've been faithful to South Valley for over 100 years. This church has existed. You have been faithful over the years, and we trust you for another 100 years of faithfulness, and we believe that here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so let's jump into it. Timothy's story is a beautiful illustration of how 95% of people come to Christ. So researchers suggest that for the vast majority of people, somewhere around 95%, faith is passed down by someone we know. Now, God may use a ministry or preacher to help somebody finally walk through the door of faith and say, yes, I believe. But the pre-work that it gets to take somebody to that place in the first, in the first place, the pre-work it takes to, to get them there, almost always originates with somebody we know. If you think about your faith journey, odds are you didn't learn about Jesus first through a pastor. You probably learned about Jesus first through a friend. You probably learned about Jesus first through a family member. You probably learned through a coach, somebody that you know. Why is that? Why does it always start with somebody we know? Well, the simple answer is trust. Trust. Faith is usually passed down by someone we trust. And who do you trust the most? Well, you trust those that you have an intimate knowledge of. You trust your parents or grandparents, your friends or relatives. You learn over time to trust your coworkers or classmates or teammates or neighbors. Passing on the faith is most successfully done in circles of trust. Tom Mercer of High Desert Church, he says this. He says, let's suppose you could somehow broadcast to the entire world that you love Jesus and that you've entrusted to him with both your life and eternal destiny. Listening in would be, what, over 7 billion people? That would be a pretty amazing opportunity. But the truth is, when all the dust is settled and the television crew had broken down the set and returned home, billions may have heard what you said, but only those close to you could be confident you were telling the truth. It's those who trust you who will hear from you. I could, I, I could reach people who trust me. You can reach people who trust you. God has intended for you to reach the people he has strategically placed in your life. I like to call this web of people that you're close to, I like to call it your relational world. Okay, you have a web of people in your life that you are close to called your relational world. And your relational world is the special web of connections that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life. And it consists of different spheres of influence that God has designed uniquely for you. These spheres include friends and coworkers, 
neighbors, family members, schoolmates, regular acquaintances. And when you think about this list of of your sphere, your unique sphere, what I want you to see today is that you have access to people that I would never have access to. You know people that I could never know, that Pastor John could never know, that Pastor Chris could never know, that Marcus could never know, that Ron could never know. You have access to people that I will never know, that Katrina will never know. And God put those people in your life for a reason. He wants to use you to reach them. You are their connection to Jesus Christ. You have a relational world. And although we all live on the same planet... We each inhabit different worlds, and God intends to use us to reach our unique worlds. Now, the Greek word used to describe this web of social connections is a word called oikos. Oikos does not mean yogurt, okay? <laughs> Even though I, do drink, I eat oikos yogurt like every day for breakfast. Uh, okay, so oikos. Oikos is this Greek term that means house, household, or extended household. And it refers to people connected through common ties and tasks. So in the New Testament, everybody had an oikos. And your oikos wasn't just the people that lived under your roof. It was the people that you were connected to. It's your nuclear family. It's your relatives. It's your dependents. It's your employees or servants. It's your friends. Everybody connected to you, that is your oikos in the New Testament. And your oikos is this close web of social connections that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life. And reaching your oikos is about seeing that web of connections as your God-ordained mission field. Did you know, if you are a believer today, did you know you are a missionary? You're a missionary. You are a missionary right here in Lemoore or right over there in Riverdale or right across the way in Hanford, or over there in Kalinga, or down in, I, I don't know what else, play, I'm still new out here. That's all I know. Okay. <laughs> Wherever you're from, you're a missionary. And do you know who your mission field is? Your oikos. Your friends, your coworkers, your relatives, the people at your favorite Starbucks or your favorite Dutch Brothers. Can anybody, Dutch Brothers, let's hear it now. Let's hear it. Okay, there we go. That's right. Favorite Dutch Brothers, always way better than Starbucks. Your school, your neighbors, that's your mission field. That is your God-ordained mission field. Do you know how the church blew up from 12 people to 200 people to 5,000 people to millions and millions of people today? It blew up because people took on the mission of their own mission field and they reached their own oikos. And that is why we are talking about Jesus today, even though his ministry happened on the other side of the planet. Because oikos after oikos came to know about saving grace in Jesus Christ. You have a mission, friends. You have one mission, to make disciples. That's it. Everything that you have in this life, God gave you for that one mission. Your car, your dinner table, your home, your friendships, your special abilities, your health, your finances, whatever you have, your intellect, everything that God has given you, he has given you for the purpose of that mission. Make disciples. Your mission field 
is your oikos. And all you have to do is open up your eyes to the amazing opportunities for life change that exist all around you. And you could be like Lois, who passes it down to Eunice, who passes it down to Timothy, who passed it down to millions of believers today. When you see the opportunities that exist right in front of you, mission first, that's God's plan for changing your world. Now on the surface, this sounds like a very simple way to do ministry. Why then are so few Christians actually doing it? Why are so few Christians actually sharing Jesus with the people in their life? Well, the short answer to this is consumerism. A sad reality about today's church and the culture of the American church is that you and I, we have been conditioned to think like consumers. We've been conditioned to think more about what we could get out of church and what we could get out of others than what we could give to the mission of the church and what we could give to others. Let me give you an example of this. When people look for a church today, do you know what they're looking for? They're looking for something like this. That's what they're looking for. Now, this is a Disney cruise. I've never been on one, and I hope to go on one someday, except for like they, I think they charge an arm and a leg and whatever else you got. So one day I'm going to do that. It looks fun. Disney cruise. Awesome. Okay, have you ever been on a cruise before? Anybody in here ever been on a cruise? And I'm not shaming anybody that's been on a cruise. I've been on a cruise too. Cruises are super fun. Now, this ship... This is literally a floating Disneyland right here, okay? It has slides and pools and gyms and movie theaters and live shows and fine dining. And it better have, uh, you know, an all-day an all self-serve, you know, frozen yogurt stand, right? You better, like, if I'm paying for that, that's what I, I want. I want one of those. You get drinks with umbrellas in it. You get to go on onshore or offshore excursions. There's all kinds of fun things that you can do on a cruise ship. Cruises are about pleasure. Cruises are about ease. Cruises are about relax, relaxation, being weighted on hand and foot, and there's nothing wrong with that because you paid an arm and a leg to get that, right? That's what you signed up for. When you go on a cruise, you sign up for all the fun and all the ease and all the relaxation of a cruise ship. Churches aren't cruise ships. They're not. Churches aren't entertainment hubs. Churches aren't one-stop shops where you could get all of your needs met. But consumer thinking tricks us into believing that churches are about us and what we want. Tom Mercer, he goes on to say this about consumerism. Consumerism has always been a challenge for Christians. Somewhere along the line, the local church became perceived as some kind of restaurant where people could gather to be well-fed. Some churches have made the jump from restaurant category to the resort level where attenders can have all their family's spiritual needs met. Now people could come and spa for the day, enjoy an entertaining show, listen to political undertones or overtones, whatever you prefer, and hear some of the same songs they hear on their playlists. One classic example of consumerism in the church today is church shopping. You guys ever hear people talk about church shopping? Yeah, you know, right now I'm just church shopping. Um, you know, I really liked that one church, but their lobby just had a weird vibe to it, so I can't go back to that church. 
I really like this other church, but they have red chairs. Red chairs are just ugly. Sorry, I don't know. We, we need to change the color of our chairs. Just saying. Um, church shoppers have a long list of non-essential things that they expect to see before they're willing to join Jesus' mission. Do you hear how shallow that is? Here's my list, God. And my list has nothing to do with your mission or your purpose for your church. This is just my list. And once my things are checked off of my list, then I will go ahead and join the church. So my list, you know, I have a few things. Like, number one, what's the pastor's style? What's he look like? Jonathan had a hat on today. Oh, my gosh. I can never come back. He had a hat on today. Is the pastor funny? If he's not funny, I'm not going back. How do, how do people dress on the stage? What type of music do they sing? How's the volume at the church? How comfortable is the auditorium? Is there coffee? And is the coffee free? If it's not free, I'm not, I'm not paying for church coffee. What does the staff look like? What are they dressed? Are they contemporary? I want a contemporary church. No, are they traditional? I want a traditional church. Actually, no. I want the perfect blend of contemporary and Christian and traditional. And I, actually, in fact, the more I think about it, I'm looking for a unicorn. Any unicorns out there? That's the culture that we have created in the church. It's about my list of my desires that I want everyone to cater to. And as soon as a church shopper doesn't like something in the church that they're shopping at, do you know what they do? They jump off the cruise ship and they go and look for another. Here's the problem. In a consumer church environment, parishioners think less about reaching the lost and more about finding a perfectly comfortable church to cater to all their wants and needs. And the problem with this is that a cruise ship is not the kind of analogy that we should compare the Christian walk to because Christianity is no cruise. Jesus says things like this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Okay, that's not good marketing for a cruise, cruise ship. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. That's terrible marketing for a cruise ship. And follow me. For whoever, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses it will find it. Jesus is not about fluffy advertisements or consumer-driven marketing. He is, in fact, extending an invitation not to cruise through the open seas with a drink in your hand. He's extending an invitation to you to come and be a part of changing the world. That's what the church is for. It's not about cruising. It's not about going down the slides. It's not about us. It's about changing the world for Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus is reaching the world, he's not trying to do some marketing scheme to make it all about you. He's making it all about him. And he's saying, if you want to change your world and you want to see the people around you change, you want to see your family change, your kids change, your workplace change, your community change, wherever you're from, follow me. Take up your cross. And so when we flip through the pages of the New Testament... We discover pretty quickly Jesus is not the captain of a cruise ship. His ship looks more like this. Jesus runs a battleship. <laughs> South Valley is a battleship. When you see a ship like this, 
Do you guys see any, you know, elaborate swimming pools on this ship? Any umbrella drinks? Anybody chilling in swimsuits? We're a battleship. How about this aircraft carrier? So I had to show one of these because we, you know, yep, there we go. Let's give it up, everybody. Had to show one of these. No swimsuits here. Just a lot of power on that ship. That's what God intends for his church to be. He's got, we're in a war. We're in a battle. And here's the thing. Soldiers, soldiers who enlist in the military, they didn't enlist in the military for the ease and comfort of the military. They enlisted in the military because they wanted to make a difference in the world. The the food on the cruise ship is going to taste much better than the food on this this ship. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. (laughs) You guys will know better than me. But if you're, an, if you're a, a sailor here today, if you're, if you're part of our Navy here today, you did not sign up for the food. That's not why you signed up. And I'm also guessing that the, the beds on the cruise ship are much more comfortable than the beds on this one. Just a guess. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, you didn't sign up for the beds. You signed up to make a difference. You signed up to serve your country. You signed up to protect those you love. You signed up to protect the values of the United States of America. You signed up to make an impact. When you come to this church, similarly, you are signing up to make an impact, not to be catered to, but to go and reach the world for Jesus and to do whatever it takes to see the people you love come to saving faith in Christ. And so here's what I want us to see today. We are not customers of the church. You and I are disciples of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're not customers of the church. This is not our church. This is Jesus' church. This is not Ricky's church. This is the Son of God's church. It's his body, his church, his mission, his law, his, his goals. We need to be about the things that he is about. We are not consumers. We are soldiers enlisted in a sacred mission. And the food on the battleship isn't always good. Our coffee in the lobby may not be good. Unless Mavericks is here, it's going to be really good. But we didn't sign up for the coffee. We signed up to save lives. We here at South Valley, we are setting sail to reach people. That's what I want you guys to know. Mission first. We're setting sail to reach people. And here's the thing. We're going to reach people who are like us. And we're going to reach people who are not like us. We're going to reach people from our generation, and we're going to reach people from younger generations. We're going to reach people from our culture, and we're going to reach people from other cultures. We're going to reach people who value what we value, and we're going to reach people who don't value anything that we value. And we need to be a church that is for all people, where people from all backgrounds and all cultures and whatever they're struggling with and whatever they believe, they could come here, they can feel welcomed, they could learn about Jesus, and then they could be sent back out to reach their own world for Jesus. That's the kind of church that we need to be. But for us to do that, we can't be consumers. We can't make it all about us. The young generation can't make it all about them. The older generation can't make it all about them. This person's style, can't, we can't all conform to that style. 
We can't have worship wars. We can't have any of, we have to be united in being one church with one mission because it's Jesus' church and it's his mission. Now, the book of Acts, it shows us the standard pattern. So if you want to be, you know, get out of the consumer mindset, the best thing to do is to start focusing on the mission. And so where do we see oikos in the Bible? I just want to go really quickly, give you a few examples of oikos in Scripture, with just three quick examples of how the church grew in the New Testament, how it expanded and became what it is today. It became, it's just regular people reaching their world. The first is the oikos of Lydia, an amazing woman in the scriptures. She was a wealthy and influential woman. She, she, she worked with purple fabrics. She lived in the city of Thyatira. One Sab- Sabbath morning, Lydia gathered with her friends. Paul approached her with the gospel message. And we read that Lydia's heart was open to Christ. And she was baptized, her in her oikos as well. That's what happened. Her friends saw her come to Christ. She shared Christ with her friends. And not only did she get baptized, but her friends and employees and those around her were baptized with her. You might think that, oh, that seems weird. Is that like a rare occasion? No. Same chapter, a few verses later, the Philippian jailer. Shortly after Lydia episode, Paul and his companion Silas, they found themselves imprisoned in Philippi. And even in prison, they continued to bear witness to Jesus. At midnight, they prayed and sang aloud until miraculously the prison doors were shaken open by an earthquake. And the prison guard fell on his knees in fear before them. And then this is what he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your oikos. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his oikos. This jailer came to Christ, and when he came to Christ, his friends came to Christ, his neighbors came to Christ, his relational world came to Christ. Earlier in Acts, Acts 10, Peter and Cornelius. Acts 10 says that Cornelius was a Roman centurion, a God-fearing man with all his household. One day an angel of God instructed him to send for Peter, saying, He'll declare to you a message... By which you will be saved, you and all your oikos. I'm pointing these things out. There's story after story of God reaching an oikos. You think of the demoniac in the book of Mark. Jesus goes across the sea, reaches the demoniac. The demoniac wants to get in the boat and return with Jesus. Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. You need to stay in this town and reach your, guess what word he uses? Oikos. That's how Christianity grows. It grows when regular people see the people around them as their God-ordained mission field. And one reason people respond so positively to this form of evangelism is because it's a natural way of communicating good news. Okay, I don't have to go to your neighborhood and awkwardly knock on the doors of your neighbors and say, Hey neighbor, if you died today, would you go to heaven? I don't have to do that. You know why I don't think I need to do that? Because I'm assuming you're talking to your neighbors. I'm assuming you know your neighbors' names. I'm assuming that you take time when you pull into your neighborhood. If you see them outside, you probably talk to them. I'm assuming you've invited them over at some point. I'm assuming that you see your neighborhood as your God-ordained mission field. Because if you don't, God sees it as that for you. You have a mission field. When Arn says this, He says, the oikos of friends, relatives, and associates is the most natural place for new Christians to share their newfound joy with others, those people who mean the most to them. And so here's what I want you to know today. Thinking about Grandma Lois, thinking about Eunice, thinking about 
Timothy, thinking about oikos, here's my big takeaway for you, and it's this. Everyone can do this. Reaching your world is for everyone. Faithful Christians are Christians who take seriously Jesus' call to be witnesses in their own relational worlds. And so we're going to do that well here, and we're also going to support missions overseas. So when you give to this church, just so you know, when you give financially to South Valley, you support the missions that we're doing on this campus with youth, young adults, kids, seniors, CR, uh, renewed thrift store, Lamore Christian Aid, all these different things we do in town, um, pregnancy center, uh, and then we're also supporting all these things across the sea. So we, we do things here and we do things there because we want to live a life of mission. And so if this sounds remotely interesting to you, I'm going to give you four ways to get started in reaching your oikos today. Number one is this, list it. Write down the names. On a piece of paper there, you should see that little web of people to consider, your neighbors, your friends, etc. Write down 8 to 15 names. Number two, pray for it. Once you have the names, pray for them every day. I had this assignment when I was in college, and the time that I did it, I prayed over this list of 8 to 15 names every single day, and I saw almost every single person on that list come to Christ by the end of the semester. My sister-in-law, my one of my best friends, my sister, countless people come to Christ. But my friend Matt Greeno that you guys heard who w- was in prison for a while and, and then got out and is now a pastor. He came to Christ during that time. Pray for them every day. Number three, invest in those relationships. So identify your mission field by writing out the names. Pr- start praying for those names. That's, that's something everybody could do. You don't need to be a mature Christian to do that. Then start looking for in ways to invest. Slow down in your neighborhood. Slow down at, at work and talk to somebody. Slow down at school and talk to somebody. Start look, Invite somebody over. Go hang out with somebody. Share a meal. Do something fun. Invest in those relationships. Number four, invite them to faith environments. Now you might notice I start with number, I, I don't start with, with invite. I start with these. Because what I've discovered is that if you do these things first, then people almost always respond well to the invitation. If you take the time to list them and pray for them, invest in them, then the moment you actually invite them, they're ready to come. Invite them. And step number five, prepare to demonstrate and discuss faith. So when you start getting engaged in reaching your world, what you're going to see is you're going to be energized. And you're going to want to make a difference. And so all of a sudden, you're going to be like, okay, what do, how can I equip myself? That means I need to be at church because I want to be equipped to reach my kids and their, my grandkids and my neighbors. And so I want to learn and grow. Or I want to go to uh, this program or I want to join this ministry. Or I want to learn about these things so that I am ready and prepared to discuss my faith with the people I love the most. Everyone can do this. South Valley is not a cruise ship. We are a battleship. And today I invite all of you to be soldiers in Jesus's mission. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now in closing, one thing I want you to know is that this is not meant to be done alone. Don't do the mission alone. Don't do this alone. So one thing that we're doing that's unique this fall, and we're not going to always make a big deal of this. We'll, we'll do it once a year. We'll offer these groups. But this fall, we're going to make a big deal of Rooted. Such a big deal, actually, that I'm going to uh, craft a sermon series around Rooted. And my goal is to see as many people as possible join a Rooted group because that is where people are equipped as disciples and disciple makers. 
if you want to be equipped as a disciple, your relationship with the Lord, and you want to be equipped as a disciple maker, knowing how to invest in others, that's not something you do on your own. That's something you do in the context of community. And so this fall, we are going to have rooted groups. We're going to launch as many as we possibly can. Marcus is here. He's ready to do it. He could talk to him after service in the lobby. He, wants to, he needs leaders. He needs people. We need soldiers, all right? So if you, if you want to be a soldier, we need soldiers. And we want to see as many people as possible be invested in and invest in others. And to give you a little more info on this, I'm going to invite up a couple right now onto the stage. Uh, we're going to hear from them a little bit about Rooted, Aaron and Vicky. Will you guys help me welcome up Aaron and Vicky to fill us in on Rooted? What's up, guys? You could keep that there. You could just kind of sit in front of it. It's all right. So thank you for coming up here. Um, I know it's scary sometimes to talk up here. You don't look scared at all, though. So you got your, you got your Daniel shirt on. You, I, I love it. Okay. So uh, Aaron, I don't know if you guys know this, but Aaron is one of our board members. So th- this is Aaron. Um, you'll remember him by his sweet beard next time you see him. So I wanted to start by asking you guys just really briefly, what is Rooted? And how is it different from a regular small group? Can you give us a little insight on that? So Rooted is a 10-week program, and it's kind of, it was groundbreaking for us. It's more intensive than any small group that I've ever been in. And it really made me look inside, question my beliefs and why I believed them. And it helped me step out in my faith for sure and bond with the people. The rooted group that we were with, we actually got disrupted by COVID, Um, but we are such a tight-knit group, and that's grown my faith exponentially. Praise God, awesome. Um, In addition to that too, part of it for me was um, because it's a daily thing. Um, There's journaling, there's questions and things like that, and it just, puts you back into a place where you're in the word every day and it's those basic habits and necessities that you should be doing but sometimes just because of life it just kind of falls away. Yeah and just having that accountability to keep you on track with that. Awesome. So how would you say it impacted your walk with with Jesus? Um, For me the biggest thing was realizing that one I wasn't alone because I think sometimes we all struggle with that. Um, And then the second thing is realizing for me that it wasn't about me. Um, It really broke a lot of the selfishness that I had, and I began to realize a lot of what you were talking about today where my mission is not what I want. It's more about what needs to be done. And the funny part is for me it broke not I have to do this, but I get to do this. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Did you want to add to that at all? So if you were to, people here are considering Rooted. Some of them might be skeptical of of joining a group. Maybe they've never joined a group before. It's a little scary to actually like step out. Why do you think someone should sign up today, take that step and join Rooted? So when we, when the first church, when the church first introduced it, I automatically felt this is something I need to do. And even with my husband, I was a bit hesitant to do that. 
and then a couple weeks went by and I mentioned to him, hey, I really wanna do this, I would like you to do it with me. But in our group, we had single people, we had couples, we had divorced people, we had a pretty good spread of ages. Um, I saw this group transform people, mm -hmm. build their faith so much stronger than I ever expected. And it did that for me too. And for me, growing up in a Christian home, walking away from my faith, coming back as an adult, this was what I needed to ground me, to give me confidence, and to push me to seek more. Praise God. Praise God. Um, I will say this. I, I think sometimes being men in a church, we do kind of sit back a little bit. Um, and so... I'm just going to say this. I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. I double dog dare them. Take, take this step. It's 10 weeks. Um, but part of my brain was like, maybe I'm a coward because of this or whatever. Um, but I found myself on that back end being a lot stronger, braver um, with my faith. So. Praise God. Will you guys help me thank the Pearsons? <laughs> guys, thank you so much for sharing. And so here's my challenge to you guys. Give God 10 weeks. Give him 10 weeks this, this year and see what he will do. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to welcome the team up. God, I thank you so much for today and for this chance to be reminded that we are soldiers. You've enlisted us into, uh, into battle. And God, I pray that if we have a consumer mindset that we would begin to put that aside and that when we come here that we would be coming to be equipped for war, that we'd be coming to be equipped for battle, to be all that you've made us to be, I love you, Jesus. I praise you. I thank you for going to the cross for us. I thank you for Grandma Lois and for Eunice and for Timothy, for the simple faith being passed down from generation to generation. I thank you for the faithfulness of this church over the years, over the decades. You have been so good to South Valley, and you're continuing to be good to South Valley. You have generation after generation in this church. There's so, so much diversity here, and that's exactly how we're supposed to be. And so I just pray, God, that we would continue to march forward in that, loving you, loving others, reaching the world, reaching people who are not like us, being welcoming, being open, being a place that's safe for people who are struggling, safe with people who are for people who are struggling with all kinds of different issues, that we would not be judgmental towards others, that we'd be slow and at, at just um, making statements about others that we would really get to love and know people and watch as you transform them from the inside out. Hear us now as we close out our time in worship. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,